Welcome to Sparks of History. Joining us today is Rabbi Yitzchak Shochet, an acclaimed speaker and writer. Rabbi Shochet serves as rabbi of the Mill Hill Synagogue in London. Previously, Rabbi Shochet served on the Chief Rabbi's Cabinet with the portfolio of family and as chairman of the Rabbinical Council in the United Kingdom. Rabbi Shochet was named by the Jewish Telegraph as one of the most 10 influential rabbis in the United Kingdom. Rabbi Shochet, thank you for being with us today. Appreciate it very much. It's great to be joined with you. Uh, just to get started, as one who has appeared on stations such as the BBC, what is your approach when you go on to these what appear as highly biased uh, media outlets? Stick to my agenda. Stick to my view. Don't get drawn into the rhetoric. You know, the I've done a fair bit of media in my time, and the sum total of my media training was a phone call, probably some 25, not more than that, about 32 years, 31 years ago, when I happened to have been in the then Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs' office, all about Shalom, and I was in a conversation with him about some things. I was the last person he saw. I left the office. He took a phone call from... Uh, the BBC it was then actually it was radio, BBC radio, and they were doing a theme on marketing. They were going to have the then chairman of Oxfam talking about marketing, and they wanted someone to talk about marketing religion. Um, and he stopped me before he sent someone to stop me before I left the doors. And would you be willing to do this? Now I'd never done anything of this sort before in my life, and I said okay. And then his then chief executive, who's now also a lord, Jonathan Kestemum, said, when you get to the studios, give me a phone call. Now, cell phones were not common in those days. I had to go into a phone booth and call him. And I'll never forget his words. That was the sum total of my media training. You don't always have to answer the question. And that's it. So by definition, and I, that stuck with me, that resonated, and that helped me then and there through that particular interview and ever since. So they'll often ask certain very deliberate and guiding questions to try and lead you into some kind of agenda or trap or whatever else besides, where you just end up looking as though you're defending yourself rather than being on the offense, which is always critical. So whenever I'm wherever I am, I make a point of knowing what it is I want to say regardless. And sometimes you'll ask a question. Of course, you have to deal somewhat with the question, but always stick to your own talking points that you want to bring across because then that message will penetrate. And you'll be on the offense continuously rather than on the defense. Um, When one looks, people living outside of London, the United Kingdom, looks at events in Europe and in London, there, there, there seems to be a perception that it's just spiraling downhill for, 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 English jewelry, like the game's over. It's, you know, uh, United Kingdom is a, is it going to become a Muslim country? I mean, these dire, dire views. What's your take of, of what has happened um, in the last couple of years and obviously more recently in the last couple of months uh, in the United Kingdom as it relates to anti-Semitism, anti-Israel sentiment? You know, every time I go back to my hometown of Toronto, Canada, and I walk into my late father, Olav Shalom's shul, and I'm always confronted with immediately like, oh, how are things in London, like Nebuch? And I just look at them, and especially even more so now, and I think to myself, what are you kidding me? I mean, the videos going around of just yesterday in the heart of Manhattan 
It's never been the case, to the best of my knowledge, that anyone would dare go punch a British policeman in the neck. And they don't carry guns. If they don't have to go to level one or level two, whatever it is that they have to, to resort to emergency situations. Empty vessels make most noise. That There's a lot of truth to that. Do we have a problem in the broader sense? Yes. Um, more so than other parts of the world today, including, for that matter, even Toronto, Canada, where they're ripping Canadian flags. Forget about Israeli flags. Canadian flags out of people's hands and burning them and whatnot. No, we don't have anywhere near as much of a problem, or at the most, maybe a similar problem, but definitely not more than that. There was a very real concern. Let's go back to 2019. Jeremy Corbyn was standing for prime minister. There was a lot of anxiety, no question about it, particularly in the Jewish community, because to have a prime minister who is blatantly anti-Semitic was a scary thought. And to have to live in that kind of environment for at least the next four or five years, plus all of his followers who would become emboldened, etc. Um, that provides a concern of sorts, no question about it. That definitely engendered a lot of anxiety. At the time, myself, together with one particular Israeli businesswoman in my community, launched what we call the Israel Engagement Hub, which has proven hugely successful. Just it's Hasbara more than anything, but bringing in speakers from the political side to the cultural side and everything else in between from Israel to simply fortify people, if nothing else, with wisdom, with knowledge, with responses, with clarity, because a lot of people just suddenly become confused, like, wait, is this claim about Israel correct? Is that claim correct? What do I say? How do I respond? Um, and then it was actually on the night of the elections. It was actually, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was Hanukkah just before or after, and I was sitting around giving a share in somebody's home. Um, it was a very large gathering. And in fact, it was a debate between myself and another rabbi, blue versus red. And one thing I told them at the time was, we need not fear. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's always been my motto in the face of all of this stuff. Regardless, we hold our heads high. And I gave them a prediction then and there about the fact that the Tories were going to win with the landslide and Corbyn would be out. Um, and everyone just kind of hung around after the talk and the exchange and the debates uh, with a lot of whiskey and lachaim to kind of wash away the anxiety till the results were in. And it was a landslide against Corbyn, which in itself was a blatant statement of where the, the country really stands. So the opportunists will rear their ugly head in dire times, as they are doing today. And boy, are those heads very ugly. Um, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the mainstream, what goes on at the core in terms of general anti-Semitism. There is a video that was released just yesterday or last night, Stephen Fry, very famous British actor, sitting in front of an Xmas tree, wishing everybody had Merry Xmas, etc., and beginning his remarks with, I am a Jew, and then talking about the anti-Semitism. And there has been such huge backlash that I woke up to this morning of people decrying his video release, et cetera, which only proves the point about why he needed to do it. Now, for however many people there were and there are decrying what he was doing and, and, and just how could you, and he's an icon in the wider uh, Anglo-Saxon community. He's seen as a top actor and a very, very, very famous Brit. Um, but the overwhelming majority don't necessarily decry what he has to say and they sympathize with what he has to say. I was walking somewhere near Harley Street, which is in the heart of the West End of London, probably about seven weeks, six, six, seven weeks ago. I was coming back from a medical appointment prior to having to go for surgery. And 
I was minding my own business and just thinking about, okay, what am I about to go through, et cetera. And then all of a sudden there's this big burly guy carrying two copies in his hand, walking alongside me. And he said to me, you're Jewish. And I'm walking with my yarmulke, I hasten to stress, and my tits is out. And I said, I certainly am. And he says, I just want to say what's going on is terrible. And I'm really sorry. And I didn't want to ask him, can I take your picture? But as he walked on, I took a picture from behind him and then put that on social media and said, you know, we have more friends than we actually realize. And there were so many people who responded to that. That's the reality. We have a lot more friends than we actually realize. True, the argument can be made that maybe they should be more vocal. Um, but I do maintain, regardless, they are the silent majority. And that's what matters most. And the idea that you know, London or the UK, yes, there are hotbeds in the UK, no question about it. But that suddenly we're becoming, we're, we're being taken over. Again, it's what you see in the media, no different than what you would see right now going on in Manhattan or in Toronto or wherever else besides. I don't see it as a very real threat. I have personally not encountered any kind of um, anti-Semitic slurs or attacks. I do walk in the street with my yarmulke or my black hat on a Shabbos, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't feel threatened or intimidated in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. And I think it's important to make that point. Now, it's true that when things started to really kick off after October the 7th, there was a cry for whatever it was on the Friday, some kind of international intifada or whatever other kind of nonsense. And there was at least one Jewish school that opted to close on account of that on that particular Friday. And needless to say, that's what's going to pick up media attention again. Look, the Jews are scared. Schools are closing. Stephen Fry, in his monologue last night, actually said that, and he cited that. When that was announced at the time, I happened to suddenly see the letter that was sent out by the schools to the parents. And I immediately, again, commented on it on social media. I do a lot of commenting, particularly about the current situation on Twitter. And I was immediately called by a couple of the um, television stations for comment. And I decried it. Again, I, I, I said that I think it's actually wrong. I think that if we resort to what Israel's angle famously referred to as the ghetto stoop, keeping our heads low, below the radar, um, then we're scoring an own goal because effectively we're accommodating the process at the whole point and purpose of anti-Semitism is to kick us into oblivion, God forbid, then by keeping our heads low or by being encouraged to take off our yarmulkes or wear baseball caps or whatever else, besides, we are essentially accommodating the process. The non-Jewish world will always respect Jews who respect themselves. And they will not respect Jews who don't respect themselves. I'm not suggesting that closing a school means you don't respect yourselves, but I am suggesting very categorically that doing that is scoring an own goal. That's the UK situation. It's true. There are other parts of Europe. And in other parts of Europe, the problem is more prevalent and it's more overt and it's more blatant and it's arguably more scary. And I'm making this judgment entirely based on what I see in the media. Um, but I have a tremendous amount of Chabad colleagues, friends, etc., all over parts of Europe. And I'm sure that they're not actively encouraging people to take off their yarmulkes. They're not actively telling people to keep a low profile. And they themselves are certainly still walking around the same way that I walk around. Um, shifting gears just a little bit, um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe of Blessed Memory spoke very often about the land of Israel, um, about Eretz Yisrael, 
He met with, the Rebbe met with many Israeli leaders, as well as with IDF, Israeli army officers. What are the keys to the Rebbe's approach regarding the security of Israel and the fighting of wars? I know it's a big topic, but just the keys that the Rebbe always presented. Never compromise, never give in. That's in a nutshell. Okay. The key of, and the Rebbe, the Rebbe actually told, I don't know if it was directly to, uh, to Shimon Perez or it was to one of his key representatives, quote, it's nothing personal. Um, in other words, it's all about the security of the land. And the key of everything has nothing, of, of the Rebbe's whole approach is nothing to do with nationalism, nothing to do with Zionism per se. It has everything to do with the fact that Israel today is the single most densely populated area of Jewish people, with the exception, obviously, in the United States, but in a much more concentrated area. And the Rebbe always came from the angle of Jewish law, of halacha, and the halacha being very categorically that when non-Jews are taking up arms against you, then you have the right to violate Shabbos in order to go ahead and protect yourselves against them. Moreover, if non-Jews are not taking up arms against you, but they're living literally on your border, even if they're coming just for simple straw on hay and whatnot, nevertheless, they could pose a very real and direct threat, so you can arm yourselves in order to be able to better protect yourselves. By definition, when you have non-Jews, um, a strong concentration of non-Jews, who maintain hostility against the Jewish people, and they're living directly on your border, then you don't do is relinquish your border. What you don't do is start inviting them further in. They don't, my neighbor and I don't get along. I'm not going to suddenly say, okay, come live in my living room and then we'll get along even better. You actually keep your border strong. The Rebbe over all the years during all the wars, whenever there was whatever pieces of land captured, insisted that they hold on to those pieces of land just to be able to better secure the borders of Israel and the people of Israel. The Rebbe maintained absolutely that the soldiers, that the chayalim, that are in the army, they are all righteous people. The Rebbe referred to them as demonstrating the highest levels of mesirat nefesh, self-sacrifice, in doing what they're doing to protect the land of Israel and the people of Israel. But to do all of this, and alas, with so much life being lost in the process, and then at some point further down the line, getting into a conversation about ceding land once more is, to my mind, going to be the biggest tragedy of all. In, in previous um, wars and battles, um, the Rebbe promoted specific projects, whether it was a tefillin campaign, a children giving tzedakah, etc., what what do you think, Rabbi Shochat, is is the imperative today um, in today's situation for world Jewry to commit to? So it goes without saying that when we encounter what we do and when we see what we're seeing in Israel, it strikes at the core of every Jew everywhere across the world. What is most astounding to my mind anyway, this time more than any previous time, are the amount of Jews that are literally coming out of the woodwork that have never identified, that are now suddenly choosing to identify, which reflects the truth and the reality of the Pintelian that exists, that Jewish spark inside every single Jew, when being threatened, however far away, nevertheless suddenly comes bursting into an inferno. And every Jew wants to do something. 
course, begs the question, what can you do? And every one of us can identify something within ourselves as to what we can actually do. So by definition, as much as there are so many different brigades, there's the tank brigade and there's the infantry brigade, and they're all different troops and brigades that are on the front lines currently of Israel. There's also the terror brigade for all of us. There is the prayer tiller brigade. There's the stucker brigade. There's the tefillin brigade, whatever it is. And wherever we might find our unique and particular strength, that's the part, that's the brigade that we should actually be joining in doing what we actually need to do. One point to that and say that the compelling unity that we've observed across the board at the moment, across the Jewish world is something, again, I think quite unprecedented. And I would only say to that, that as lamentable as it is to say this, it took a tragedy to suddenly bring all the Jewish people that were previously so fragmented together. It would be a tragedy if that came now to an end, God forbid. And on, on that note, um, uh, again, thank you so much, Rabbi Shochet, for your time today. We appreciate it very much. And uh, for your uh, as well, your inspiring words. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. All the best to you. Thank you.